שלום עליכם, שבוע טוב, all of you listeners of this great station, a station of דברי מוסר, דברי תורה, דברי התעוררות, religious music, הלכות, and this is רבי אלבאס from SLC. And I'm going to speak about the parasha that we read yesterday. Let me start by saying that on weddings, there are some nine words, magical words, that the hatan, the groom, tells his bride, which makes the kiddushin official. And what are those words? You are sanctified unto me. With this ring. According to the law of Moshe and Israel. Well, why are we saying like the law of Moshe? Why are we bringing here Moshe Rabbeinu altogether? I mean, when you put on tefillin, You make a barakha le'aniyah tefillin. You don't say le'aniyah tefillin kedat Moshe v'Yisrael. Or the Talit. Or you make a Mosi. You don't say a Mosi lechem in a kedat Moshe v'Yisrael. Or any other mitzvah. Sukkah, lulav, whatever. But yet here, we do say kedat Moshe v'Yisrael. Well, there must be something to it. And there is. There are at least... Three midot tovot, good virtues, good values, that we learn from the, from the parasha, from Moshe Rabbeinu, that are quite appropriate for a successful marriage. And let's go with each one separately. The, uh, the, at the beginning of the parasha, It talks about the Shi'abud Misraim, how the Bnei Israel were enslaved by Paro. Now, many of you might think that the enslavement was overnight. It didn't happen that way. Uh, Paro didn't say, okay, you, you are free people today, tomorrow I want you, you're going to be slaves, and that's the end of that. It didn't work that way. Just like in Mahshimam Danatsim, even Hitler in Mahshimam Zichro, Uh, he did not put them in guest chambers overnight. It took a while. Went to liberal camps. There were quite a bit. There were Kristallnacht. There was all kinds of anti-Semitism that was brewing around, not only in Germany, but throughout the entire world. It was incited, of course, by the Nazis in Mashima. But it didn't start. There were at least four stages involved. According to some Midrash, that... When they said, that they actually put in the uh, uh, appointed uh, some uh, officers that were uh, tax collectors, but the tax was a labor tax, some kind of a labor tax. And the Midrash says that they started out at the beginning by telling them, okay, you're going to be working for the crown one day a week. One day a week, you give to the crown. That's not a big deal. That was a whole week. Then, he made them slaves now. Slaves, it's not like workers. Slaves, of course, they 
they they they uh, oppress them some more. And on top of that, vaymareru it hayehem ba'avodah kasha. They they actually embittered their lives with tough work. Avodat parech, crushing type of labor. And then again, the fourth stage was they took the uh, the babies, Jewish babies, and threw them into the Nile. Well, so this was like a uh, uh, it took some period of time until they reached that. But at that point, of course, they needed a savior. And the Savior came through Moshe Rabbeinu. Now, you have to realize one thing. Moshe Rabbeinu was a prince. He was living in a palace. He had everything for him. He had power, wealth, clout. Perhaps he could have been the next king uh, of Egypt. But that's not what he chose to do. Instead, it says... When Moshe Rabbeinu, when he became a little bit older, it says he saw, he saw his brethren and he saw their burden. Their burden. What does that mean, he saw their burden? Did he just observe? I mean, just like I, uh, you see a picture? That's not what it means. Vayar besivlotam means he felt their pain. He saw and felt the pain. He felt their oppression. He, he was, he was uh, pained by it. He was grieved by it. And sometimes when someone was carrying a stone, he couldn't do it on his own, he would go ahead. And help him out. Someone was thirsty and needed a drink. He would give him a drink. It's against the rules. Even he saved the Hebrew from the Misri. He went out one day. He saw an Egyptian beating a Hebrew. And what? He took the Egyptian and he killed him. B'Shem Amforash. Obviously, here it shows one thing. It shows the feeling, the deep feeling that he had for the people of Israel at the time. That's one thing. Second, let's go over when HaKadosh Baruch Hu finally wanted to select Moshe as a shepherd. And it was not an easy thing either. Hashem told Moshe Rabbi, you know what? I mean, this is the time. Now I remember, I'm the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Yaakov. And this is the time I heard the cries of the Bnei Israel. I want to redeem them. And I want you to be the agent, the shaliah, the messenger to go and get them out. So Moshe Rabbi says, first of all, he says, me, I need. Who am I? <laughs> I come... I'm, I'm, uh, I'm, I'm really nothing. He says, no, no. He wants him to go. But he says, well, what if, they, what if they don't believe me? Maybe they won't believe me. So he says, you know what? 
I'm going to give you two simanim. Two otot. Meaning two kinds of miracles that you could show to the people to convince them that you are the proper messenger. And we all know what the two uh, simanim were. One, when he, he threw the, uh, his staff and became a, a snake. The other one, he put his hand in, inside his bosom, take it out. It was full of tzarat, of leprosy. That's, that's, that's what it was. But then he says, you know what? Please, I'm not the time, I'm a heavy, heavy, heavy uh, tongue and heavy mouth. I, I, I don't speak well. It, when you have a representative going to speak to kings, you have to have someone who's eloquent, who, who knows how to talk properly. And he says, Hashem said, Me some peladam. Who? Well, who created the mouth of the person? And who, who decrees whether somebody's going to be death or, or, or talking or, uh, uh, you know, or pikeah or, or, or blind or something? Hashem, don't worry. I'm telling you, it's fine. But then at the end, after all this, after all this convincing, he says, Shelahna biyatishlah. Go ahead. No. Send someone else, not me. Now, who did he buy? Who did he have in mind? Aharon, his brother. Why? After all, Moshe Rabbeinu left Egypt when he was twenty years old. When he came back, he was eighty years old. We're talking about sixty years, where Aharon, his brother, was really the leader. In in in, uh, in Mitzrayim, he was the one that they looked up to all the time. So now, he's gonna go and step on the foot of his brother and become the leader. Uh uh-uh. uh he won't have that. He is not going to slight his brother. No disrespect is gonna be shown for his brother. Ah, so Hashem said to him, "Don't worry, Aaron Levi, your brother." He says, I know. He knows how to talk. When he sees you, he's going to be happy that you're the leader. Don't worry. You think you're going to disrespect him? No. I know. He's, he's going to be happy to see you, that you are the leader of the Israel. So here's another thing. Meaning, not to show disrespect, for, especially for a, a brother, or any fellow man, as, as a matter of fact. That's the second point. Now, another thing is, at the end of the parasha, it talks about uh, Moshe and Aaron going to Paro and telling them, you know, uh, they're, working, they're working very hard and uh, they, we want them to go out. We want them to, to, to go out of Mishraim, and to go and sacrifice for three days, and so on and so forth. And Paro is angry. He's upset. <laughs> of course he's upset. You know, he's got 600,000 people that are working for free for years and years and years, for centuries. Of course he doesn't want to let them go. Lama Moshe ve'aronta frio with the arm. Why? Why are you disturbing the people? Let them. 
Let them work. Then he did something terrible. Paro decreed that from then on, that the Bnei the, the, the Israel were not going to even have the straw in order to manufacture the bricks. In other words, at that point, before that, the, uh, the Egyptians were supplying them with the straw, and from that, they manufactured the bricks, and they did, a, let's say, a certain amount per day. Let's, let's assume it was 100 bricks per day. Now you told them you're going to actually go and get the straw yourself, and still, by the end of the day, you're still going to have the same amount of bricks manufactured. If it's 100, 100. Well, that was an impossible mission. And there's some... Some Menefashim say this is also part of the Avodat Parech, something that's impossible to do. There are other uh, uh, Menefashim that, that say Avodat Parech was, they switched some of the labors, some of the labor of the women, give their men, men their women, and so on. There were some things like that. Uh, but this, this was also considered, uh, uh, when, when you tell someone, that you know can do only so much, and you tell them to do a labor which is twice as heavy, well, that is an impossible mission. That is Avodat Parikh also. Then what happened to that? Then Moshe Rabbeinu came to, to Kadosh Baruch Hu. Moshe Rabbeinu had the audacity to be in front of Kadosh Baruch Hu, the king of kings, and he says to him, Lama hareota la'amaze. Why did you do something bad to these people? Imagine. Of course, in his mind, Moshe Rabbeinu, he was a defender. He was the protector of the Bnei Israel. He wanted to protect them. Instead, he made it worse. But they said to Hashem. Now, obviously, he was doing the right thing in the sense that he was trying to defend his people. But that is not the way to talk to Hashem. And therefore, even with that, even though he meant well, Rashi says that, well, there was something uh, to this, like it, it was not appropriate, and there was some slight punishment to this, meaning only a hint of what's going to happen in the future. Rashi says, Now you'll see. What I'm going to do to Paro. In other words, now you will see. But you will not see what's going to happen to the Shiva Umot when they go and conquer the land of Israel. So in other words, there's a hint over here that Moshe Rabbeinu will not go to Eretz Israel. Uh, but he was the defender, the protector, regardless of what, of the Bnei Israel. So here we see three very important midot, three important virtues that Moshe Rabbeinu is displaying, is showing to us, is demonstrating in his behavior. And one is to feel, to share in the joy and happiness as well as time of sadness. Well, this is, again, appropriate for marriage. We say, We're talking about Moshe Rabbeinu. We're going to learn when you have a husband and wife then this is one of the midot to feel for the other. 
to be always of help to the other. Secondly, he did not want in any way to show any disrespect for his brother Aaron. That's another great midnight in a marriage. Never show disrespect for your spouse. Always have respect for your spouse. And thirdly, it was the protector, the defender. We always have to be on the side of our spouse to protect them, to defend them at all times, whether it is from uh, uh, strangers or even family members. Don't side, don't side with your brother or your cousin. Side with your spouse. It's unfortunate that I've seen many, many times in our community itself where one of the spouses would, if there's any kind of mahlokit between the family, instead of protecting and being on the side of the spouse, they give the right to their family. That's wrong. You're supposed to be always on the side of your spouse. You want a happy marriage, a successful marriage, then you should be always together. You don't live with your cousins or your brothers. You live with your wife. So this, this is why we say that Moshe is that perhaps this is what, there are many other reasons. I'm sure there are other reasons. But this also perhaps could be one of the things why we're saying that Moshe Israel. It's interesting to note also, on a, on a different note now, that when Moshe Rabbeinu was born, it says, Vayelech ish mi betlevi, vayikach et betlevi. There was someone that was from the house of Levi, and he went ahead and married a uh, someone that was a, a daughter of Levi, meaning that they were both from Shevet Levi. No mention of who it is. No mention. We know from later that it was Amram and Yocheved, but we, right here at the beginning, nothing. No mention. Why? Why not mention? It was... Amram was a Gadol Ador at the time. The father of Moshe was a Gadol Ador. So Moshe, Moshe was a Gadol Ador. Tremendous Yechus that he had. The Torah wants to emphasize one thing. To be a Gadol Ador, you don't necessarily have to have Yechus. We've had many, many, many great Rabbanim, dozens and dozens of great Torah giants whose parents were simple people. They were not Torah giants. Oh, yeah, there were others. There were some dynasties, of course, uh, that, that they, yes, we, we, I agree. Uh, there were always, uh, 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 you know, Rabbanim and the children and the grandchildren. It's true. But there were many others. Or even these Rabbanim with dynasties, how did the first one start? The first one started, did not have any who's per se, then after that, it came about. It was it this little, this little, little anecdote about this uh, 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 rabbi, a famous rabbi that uh, uh, in Europe, and uh, they had a fire, and the house was completely on fire and destroyed and burnt up. And then he saw it was a child, and he saw his mother. She was crying and crying, so he asked her. Mommy, why are you crying? 
Is it because, you know, all the houses destroyed? Don't worry. We'll build another one. He says to him, no, that's not why I'm crying. I'm crying because I had papers there that show our Yehus. It shows where we came from. It shows the strength of our lineology. So he answered her, don't worry. I will start a new dynasty. I will start something new now. I will be a Reb, and there will be a new dynasty from me. And that's exactly what happened. Rambam says, anyone can be as great as Moshe Rabbeinu. Anyone. It's up to us how much effort, how much work we put in to become a holy man and a learned man and a scholar. Hacham Allah Shalom, one of the greatest Rabbanim we ever had in recent history. This doesn't mean that no one, God forbid, can reach this ma'ala. It won't be easy. I agree. But if someone really works very, very hard and, and goes into the path of Torah and the Mitzvot and doesn't, doesn't really get uh, involved with the temptations of this world, he will, be, he will be a Torah giant. And we had many of them, both Sephardic and Ashkenaz. Rabbi Mordechai Eli, Allah shalom. Great Tamid Hacha, Big Mekuban. Ramoshi Feinstein, Allah shalom. Tremendous, a giant in Torah. A great posek in the world. Recently, Rabbi Pam, Allah shalom, Rabbi Kamenitsky, and so on and so forth. We had. It doesn't mean that their parents or, or grandparents were also Gdole Ador. Actually, we, we can bring a, uh, a little evidence to this uh, from a, a, uh, what happened to Moshe Rabbeinu as a baby uh, when the, the, the Batya, the daughter of Paro, when she opened the basket and she saw the baby was crying, she said, well, it's probably from one of the Hebrew babies. And... Uh, she, she brought some uh, a, a, a wet nurse, like a, a, a mother that can give, uh, give milk, an Egyptian woman. And uh, no, he wouldn't take. He, wouldn't, he, would not, he would not nurse from her. Brought another one. No. Until Miriam said, well, would you like me to go and you know, bring the Jewish? He said, yeah, go ahead. So when she brought her mother, then he started nursing. That's fine. He took he could make from his mother. But why wouldn't he take? Why? Because they say, Hape Shaatid the mouth that in the future is going to be talking to the Shekhinah to Agadosh He should not be nursing from a Gentile woman. Now, what's the halakha? The halakha, the Ramah says like this. He says that, in general, for a regular, any regular Jewish baby, he says he should only be nursed from a Jewish woman. 
However, if it's impossible to find a Jewish mother, question of pikuach nefesh, then you can take a Gentile woman to nurse him. But the question arises, why not? Why not from a, a Gentile woman? The reason why Moshe Rabbeinu could not is because we said, Hapei, the mouth that's going to be talking to HaKadosh Baruch Hu, should not be nursing from a Gentile woman. But how many Jewish children do we know are going to be talking to the Shekhinah? So why can't they be nursed from a Gentile woman? They're not going to be talking to the Shekhinah. Since uh, Malachi and Navi, there was no nevoah. The answer is, even though we don't know about it, we, you never know. Maybe that particular child might someday be a gadol like Moshe Rabbeinu, or almost like him, and perhaps he will be talking to Shekhinah. This is an evidence that anyone, when you work at it, when you really are determined to go sit in yeshiva, learn and study, every day, you can become a gadol ador. Rabbi Pam, Alava Shalom, Rabbi Kamenetsky, Hacham Wadiyah Yosef, Maran Wadiyah Yosef, Alava Shalom, all these people, they did not become Gdole Ador overnight. Do you know how studious was Hacham Wadiyah Yosef, Alava Shalom, in the days where he was young and he could not even afford to have the light? He had to go to a bookstore over there and ask the guy to go in his place. That one area is there with a little light so that he could stay at night and study and learn. He was a big, big uh, 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 matmid, tremendous matmid. He was very diligent. Of course you have to be pikeah also. Of course you have to be brilliant. But still, the learning process does not come overnight. It takes time and effort and burden. But yet, we can, if we really want to, we can always be a gadolador if you put yourself into it. And this is a great, a great thing that we learn from There was no Yehus involved here. Because we, anyone, can also be a gadolador if really puts himself into it. I hope, Rabotai, that we, you learned that the virtues of Moshe Rabbeinu, you learned that how we can be also a gadol, ador, if we really want to. Let us hope that all of us will work in our marriage the way the virtues that we learned from Moshe Rabbeinu. And I know, Be'ezat Hashem, if you do, you will have a successful marriage. Iskola Miswot Rabotai. And please, as usual, let me just mention that do not forget this station. This station lives only on contributions. And any contribution that you send over here will perpetuate the work, the great work that this institution is doing. 
And if you have any simha, please contact our SLC uh, office. We'll be very happy to accommodate you. Shavua Tov. Tiskul Shem Rabot. Tiskul Amisvot.